Earlier this week, I was reading uh, Psalm 34 just for myself. And uh, in the middle of the week, I was given a list of requests by some of the students at the school where I'm doing a part-time little bit of a teaching there. And the requests that came from these students, these teenagers, actually surprised me quite a bit. Now, I'm going to read these and the reason why I'm going to read them, I f- it was interesting, is I read this list. I said, wow, I think many of these questions are being answered in Psalm 34. Now, one of the things that when I read these questions, what really struck me is how much our culture has changed over the last several years. And there's words we use commonly like trust and uh, Christian that have completely different meanings to someone that um, doesn't necessarily go to church every Sunday. Now, this is not a fire and brimstone message. This is not a look-down-my-nose message at people that don't go to church. This is simply a message of how to adjust yourself because uh, the folks we talk to, the folks that my children will interact with, and as they raise their my grandchildren, they will have to interact and they've got to understand the culture that's going on right now. And I'm going to make a few comments. And uh, I just want to try to take, make you take a step back and think, oh, I never thought of that. Because when they are asking for the hope within us, we've got to understand where they're coming from. We can't go into automatic pilot. I feel like there's a barrier between God and myself. I don't believe I am a Christian, but I want to be. I feel like I am not growing or bearing fruit. How do I get out of a sin cycle? I don't believe the Bible is infallible. How can I trust God? And how can God be good when I have been so hurt? Now, you're thinking, those are questions, and everybody knows that. Well, no, everybody doesn't know that. I have a feeling if I gave out a piece of paper and asked the definition of a Christian right here in this church, I'd get a couple dozen different answers. And that word trust is something I want to talk to you a little about because what we think of trust and what they think of trust is two different things. At the beginning of the school year, we had a, uh, a local man. He's a counselor, and he's actually nationally acclaimed, but uh, he was, happened to be speaking to us before uh, the semester started. And he was describing, as his counselor, he spends a lot of time focusing on families and parents and children. Mr. McCurdy, you know who he is. Very fine man, very smart man, very common sense approach. But what he did is he says, I've noticed trends. And about 10 years ago, the trend was for helicopter parents. In other words, parents that hovered over their children and saw at every detail. And that was a problem because it didn't give them maturity to grow and do things on their own. But he said, in the last 10 years, we've had a move from helicopter parents and to make my child happy parents. In other words, a good parent is someone that makes their child happy. And that's what we're thinking now. I want you to go back in time, and I'm going to date myself. I'm going to the black and white sitcoms in the 60s, the Leave it to Beaver type stuff. And in those sitcoms, you had dad who went to work and mom stayed home. And then about 15, 20 years went by, And then you got into the sitcoms like in the 80s, and you had dad working and mom working, and they managed the house together. And then another 10 or 15 years go by, and then you got dad who's an idiot, and mom's the boss. 
You can think of the sitcoms that do that. And then another 10 or 15 years to the common day, now mom and dad are idiots and the kids are the boss. Just watch Nickelodeon or Disney and you'll see that's exactly what the movies are. And we've got a generation that's growing up and they're thinking that way. And they think a parent's job is to make us happy. And when a parent is not making me happy, they are an unworthy parent, or they are an untrustworthy parent. Well, I got news for you. It's not a parent's job to make a child happy. It's to nurture and mature and prepare them for the real world. And that has bled over into teaching. It's a teacher's job is not to make a student happy. It's to prepare them. And if I go back and I think of my favorite teachers and the ones usually everybody remembers, it wasn't the one that was fun all the time. It was the one that actually pushed you and caused you to grow. Those are the ones I remember. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, but that's a teacher's job. And Melanie shared something with me, and I'll try to leave out the names to protect the guilty. (laughs) But she told of a volleyball team where the team got angry at the coach. And they said, we think you ought to step down because that would make us more happy. I got news for you. It's not a coach's job to make the athletes happy. It's to push them and to train them. And sometimes training is not comfortable. So we're in a society that thinks that happy is the right thing. Now you think, what's this got to do with Psalm 34? Well, they have, when I say they, our culture has transposed that and put that on God. So a parent that's not making me happy, I don't trust him. And a teacher that's not making me happy, I don't trust him. And a coach that's not making me happy, I don't trust him. And a principal that's not making me happy, I don't trust him. And a God that's not making me happy, I don't trust him. Well, God's not in the business of making us happy. There are things he does that make us happy, but there's also things that he does that make us unhappy. But because of his love, he's looking for something way better for us down the road. What I'd like to do is I want to go through some of these words, and I I think the trust one, it says, how can I trust God? I believe once we understand what God is in the business of doing, we understand the second, the one right after it, how can God be good when we have so much hurt? See, we don't trust him because I'm hurting and I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not happy, I don't trust him. So basically we're going to read Psalm 34 and unless you can take a step back and change that perspective, you're not going to understand God or you're not going to understand the psalm. I'm going to challenge you because I want you just to take a second to see how much our culture has changed just in my lifetime. I got on the internet this morning and I look up some facts. Facts about home, family, economics. Let's see if these surprise you. Church attendance. In 1960, church attendance was 63%. In 2020, church attendance was 31. So it cut in half. You're saying, well, that's kind of what I expected. That's not a big surprise. Well, half is a big deal, but let's go on. I'm just getting started. Stay-at-home moms. 
Now, I couldn't go back to 1960. I found something in 1967. But in 1967, stay-at-home moms were 49%. Today, they're 16%. That's one-third. Is that a big deal? Yeah, do you think that affects the way our kids and our teenagers look at life? Of course it does. I'm not making any judgments about right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the facts, and that affects our culture and the world. I think that second one got some eyebrows to go up. Births per woman. In 1960, the average rate was 3.44. Today, it's 1.77. Is it the water? Is it the McDonald's? Cohabitation. In 1960, it was 0.1%. You know what what 0.1% means? It means one in a thousand. You know what it is now? It's 15%. That's a big change. That's 150-fold. Porn viewing. In 1960, it was 29%. Today, it's 78%. Three times as much. Now, I can't, I, I didn't have any data going back to 1970, but I got it, I'm sorry, 1960, but I got it back to 1970. And the thing is, is the porn is different now than it was. Back then in 1970, you had to sneak in the barber shop and look at a picture once in a week. But now you've got hours of it streaming in your bedroom so no one sees you all the time. And it's a lot harder now than it is. And there's studies that, that the chemicals that are releasing during the porn process are more addicting than cocaine. I've got all the research if you want to see that. Our culture is... So 78%, that means three-quarters of the teenage boys I'm talking to in my high school class have already seen it and already been affected by that and had stuff, images burned in their brain. And I got, a, I got a news for you. No woman can live up to those airbrushed pictures that they're looking at. They're, real, they're not real people. Number six, did you know in 1960... The average person had 0.25 credit cards. Well, how do you have a quarter of a credit card? That means one out of four people had a credit card. And usually those were businessmen. Today, there's almost four credit cards per person. Y'all, that's just a different in the mentality. Back then, you paid cash. Hey, we buy it and worry about paying for it later. That's the, the culture. Y'all, when you're witnessing... To someone, this is the culture of who you're talking to. Now, in here, we've got 20-somethings and 40-somethings and 60-somethings and 80-somethings. We've come a long way. And quickly. And one more, this is my favorite. In 1960, our president said, ask not what country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You go back and look at the presidential promises for the last couple of years. And that's not the promise. The promise is ask not what you owe your country, but what your country owes you. They owe you health care. They owe you a college education. They owe you retirement. They owe you food. They owe you unemployment. How, how did we get there? And that's the mindset. We've come a long way. So when we talk to our folks, when we talk to our young people, you've got to realize they don't have the same base as you. So when we talk about trust, trust in their mind is something completely different than the trust in your mind. Got it? So we have to start and get on terms before we start sharing the gospel, and we've got to share what God is and who he is and how he goes about it. So when I looked at Psalm 34, 
And I broke it up into six sections. Psalm 34 has 22 verses, and I got six sections of blocks of three and four verses. And I believe each one of these blocks answers a question. This is something David did nearly at the beginning of every psalm. And this is something that's good advice for us that we need to do before we do anything hard. Before we start our day. We need to take some time out and just brag on God. I can, I can guarantee you that when you get up in the morning, I know I'm giving you two morning assignments now, but I'm giving you a morning assignment that when you get up, spend the first 60 seconds just bragging on God. You say you don't have enough material for 60 seconds? Think harder. You will be shocked and amazed at how much better your day will go. Before you have to do something hard, spend 60 seconds bragging on God. Notice the words in this passage, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Look at those three. Bless, praise, boast, magnify, and exalt. How many times do you start a prayer with that? I don't do it nearly enough. You know what? That should be the start of every prayer. Give me book, chapter, and verse. Read the Psalms. That's exactly what David does. It's a pretty good way to start something. Well, my wife and I had a disagreement, and now we got to talk. Uh, I'm going to spend 60 seconds bragging on God. Yo, what a difference that'll make. I want you to notice, before we move on to this next section of verses in Psalm 34, the pronouns. I, my, my, me, and us. Y'all, this is something that you do in your closet. This isn't a church thing. It can be a church thing. But it's an individual thing. And notice who's the subject of this praise. Y'all, it's not the church. I love the church, but we're not praising the church. We're praising the Lord. And we're not praising ourselves. And we're not praising our father, biological fathers. We're not praising men. We are praising the Lord. Spend 60 seconds praising Him. I don't think we can have to hurt if we we take 60 seconds praising ourselves we could probably do that pretty easy that's just our nature but that doesn't do us any good we need to be praising the lord so let's go to the next section of verses Uh, this will be four through seven let me read the passage and then i want to spend a little bit of time talking about it i feel like there's a barrier between god and myself what can i do i think this one will be answered by these four verses notice what we do i sought the lord And he heard me and delivered me from all my tears. They looked unto him and were lightened. The burdens were taken off of them. And their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord campeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You know, if I feel like there's a barrier between God and I, you know what? I got to seek him out. I got to go to him. 
I got to talk to him. You know, if I feel like there's a barrier between my wife and I, you know what I need to do? I need to go to her. I need to talk to her. That's what removes it. Now, notice what the Lord says, the scripture says the Lord will do when you do approach him. He said he will deliver you. He will lighten your burdens. He will hear you. He will save you. He will campus you, encompass you roundabout, and he will deliver you. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? All I have to do is search him and he does that. Yeah, draw nine to me and I'll draw nine to you. That's one of those promises you can take to the bank. Why, why are we so prideful? Why don't we draw near to him? Because we're dumb. That's all there is to it. We're dumb. I think these actions reveal David's dependence on God. But you know what? God's actions confirms his love towards us. God shields us from our fear, from shame, and from all our troubles. Wow. God does that for me? You bet. Wait a second. Here's this God. And and I'm supposed, and I'm thinking as the world right now, the way our culture does, I'm this God, and he's supposed to make me happy. And I've approached him, and I still have trials. Well, what does it, doesn't this promise that I won't have any trials? No, the Bible doesn't say you won't have trials. But he says he'll help you get through the trials. And I know... I go to the Willy Wonka movie, the, the chocolate movie. There's that little bratty girl. What was, what was it? She, I want a wumpa lumpa nut, whatever it was. I want it now. And some guys, sometimes God says, no, not now, next week. But he does deliver us, just not in our time frame. So let's go to the next section of verses. Now again, look at the things saints do. We seek him, we look unto him, and we cry unto him. Notice what God does. He delivers us, he lightens our burdens, he saves us, he hears us, he delivers us, and he campuses roundabout. Let's go to the next set of verses. Here's four more verses, 8 through 11. How can I trust God? How can I trust God? 8. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. And there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. I love that verse right there. It doesn't say the young man will never want. It'll say you'll never have want of any good thing. Right? God says no. What was There's that Garth Brooks song, Some of God's Greatest Gifts Are Unanswered Prayers. Well, I got a problem with that song. He answered it. His answer was no. Well, that song was about a girl that turned out to be pretty wild. And he prayed as a teenager, I want to marry her, I want to marry her. And God said no. And 10 years later, he had his wife and he was looking at this wild girl and he said, oh, thank you, God, for saying no. That's basically what the song was about. So, And then verse 11 says, Come ye, children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So here, here's a, a particular passage that let's look at the things that we do. We trust him, we fear him, and we seek him. And look at the things that he does. He blesses us so that we have no want. He teaches us. Wow. 
Y'all, we serve a great God. And we don't call him genie, where you rub the bottle, your wish is my request. We call him father, because sometimes he says no, because sometimes your wish is a dumb wish. Right? We ask for things that aren't really in our best interest. And you know what? I, 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 but, but our world says we can't trust that God. And to me, it's just right the opposite. I don't trust a God, God that gives me everything I want. Because I know that as I grow and mature, I, I can't believe I wanted that when I was 18. I can't believe I wanted that when I was 40. I asked for some dumb stuff, and you get beyond it in perspective, and you go, oh, God, I see what you're doing now. We're about halfway through the psalm. Let's go to 12 through 14. I feel like I am not growing or bearing fruit. Have you ever felt that way? What man is he that desireth life and love many days that he may see good? Now, everybody desires life and they desire it. And the way I desire life is just not a heart that's beating. It's talking about quality and quantity of days. There's the many days and there's the good. I think the good is the quality of life. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Look at those uh, two verses, verse 13 and 14. 13 tells you the things you ought not to do. 14 tells you the things you ought to be doing. Let me, let me share something with you because it'll be in this one and it'll actually roll into the next set of verses in 15 through 18. I didn't know exactly how to divide this. Let me think of a, a scenario that happened... Oh, I don't know. It was, it was before I came here, so it was at least 12 years ago, probably like 15 years ago. There was a couple that was having trouble. And since I've been talking a little bit about porn, I'm going to stick with that same theme because that was the issue that was the matter. I'm sitting in my office, and they were sitting at the table across from my desk, and they were getting some counsel. And the problem was is he had been involved in porn. And as we talked... This particular man said, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. And you know what I did? I excused the woman. And I talked to the guy. And I said, that's the worst apology in the history of the world. Because when I hear that, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. It's almost like saying, I'm sorry you're so sensitive. That's the way I read that. The problem is, is if that's really the issue, I hurt your feelings, the problem is it's going to happen again. But if you say, I am sorry for this deed I committed because it is against God's will, now you got a place to start because then you got a chance of not repeating it again. So that sin in that particular case, you know what the sin was? It was against the wife and against God. Do you remember in the parable of the prodigal son? It's in Luke 15, about verse 18. What did the prodigal son, it says he, he was out, he spent it on wine, women, and song. He finally came to himself. He came back to his father. And in verse 18, he says, what did he say? He says, I have sinned against God and you, my biological dad. Now you got to start a basis. But if you just do it because I've hurt my wife's feelings, which I do all the time, well, hopefully it's less than before, but I do more than I care to admit. 
But what happens is, is if I do it just because I've hurt her feelings, no, I got to go deeper than that and I got to go to the cost. Well, I feel like I'm not growing or bearing fruit. If your apologies are I hurt your feelings, you're not going to bear fruit because you haven't fixed the problem. It's got to go back to the core of the sin which caused that to go forward. So let me read this whole passage again. I got sidetracked a little bit. But what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? There's the quantity and quality of life. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. These are the things you ought not to be doing. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Those are the things we are to be doing. These are the things we're not to be doing and the things we are to be doing. I do believe quality of days is very much interrelated with spiritual fruit, which is what this question is. When you can't have good days without spiritual fruit. When I was in high school, I had some, well, I had some buddies that played golf. And we would go out there and we would yuck it up. And we would play golf and we'd be silly and we'd drive carts and we'd take fan, you know, we'd, we'd take shots and, you know, it was a lot of ha ha he he he, you know, the kind of things. And um, I don't know, we probably did some damage to the course just because we were so bad and not keeping the carts on the path as opposed to cutting across fairways. We, we, but, but we were having yuck yuck fun. And then some time went by and I got into my 30s. Now this is when I was older and, and had a set of golf clubs and I just got married. I still didn't have any kids, so I still had a lot of free time. And I was playing golf back then, and I was actually getting a fair amount where I was breaking 80 pretty consistently. And I was having fun then, but it was me against the course and not me with my friends going yuck, yuck, yuck. It was a different kind of fun. It was a deeper, it was a richer fun. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Well, that's what this is talking about. You can have good days, and then you can have days with spiritual fruit, and it's a deeper, richer fun than I was having yuck, yuck, yuck with my teenage buddies. Well, that's what this is. So, Lord willing, we can move to that deeper, richer relationship with the Lord. But notice the things that we ought to be doing or not be doing. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. But notice the things that God does. Quality and quantity of life. Does that sound familiar? Where else do we see that promise? Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. For this is right. And what's the promise? Quantity and quality of life. The fifth section in Psalm 34, 15 through 18. I don't believe I am a Christian, but I want to be. You know, when I see a statement like that, what is a Christian? I think most of us say, well, I go to church and I read my Bible and I obey it. I don't think that comes close, y'all. But I think that's the vision that most people on the outside think a Christian is. See, 
God is all about attitude. And you can be keeping every jot and tittle, but you're nothing more than a legalist and not a Christian. It's all about the heart. That's why Jesus came. He came for Christians. Why? Because we fail. We admit our faults and we try to fix them. And sometimes we do it again. And we try to fix that also. So let's read the passage. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open under their cry. Really? God is looking at me? And he's listening to me? That's what it says. Notice the next verse. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil and cut off the remembrance of the earth. And God's face is towards my enemies. That sounds like better than my face towards my enemies. His ears and her eyes are upon me and his face are towards my enemies. That sounds like a pretty good place to be. Amen? The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and he delivereth them out of all their troubles. Last time it was just out of your troubles. This time's all of your troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are broken heart and saveth such with a contrite spirit. Notice what he says here. Who does he draw nigh unto? He draws nigh unto the broken heart and the contrite spirit. Not the legalist, not the Pharisee. Not the one looking, not the self-righteous, not the one looking down their nose, not the one that's judging everybody else. Who does he draw nigh unto? The humble. I messed up, God. I want to do better. I need your strength because I keep messing up in the same one area. Right? That's a Christian. A Christian's one that depends on Christ. Not saying, Lord, I'm your gift here on earth. Just let me go. No, that's not it. Once again, look at the things that saints ought to be doing. We ought to be crying, and then there's our broken heart and our contrite spirit. Notice the things that God does. He's attentive to us. He's also attentive to our enemies, but in a different way. And he delivers us, and he saves us, and he's close unto us. And then the last section in this um, psalm, 19 through 22 How can God be good when I've been so hurt? Now, I have no idea what the hurt this teenager suffered. Maybe there's a divorce between his parents. Maybe it was a a death of someone in the love and a loved one. Or maybe it was he just flunked his driver's license test. I, I, I don't know. And I've told you this string before, but somewhere around ninth and 10th grade, the ninth and 10th graders go, oh, if I can only get my driver's license, everything would be so good. And then they get to 18, and they go, oh, if I can only go away to college and out of mom and dad's house, everything will be so good. And then they go, I hate school. If I could only get a job and start earning money, everything will be so good. Then they start working for a little while. I know, if I can only get married and I have a spouse, then everything will be so good. And then all of a sudden you got two sinners living under the same roof. And then you think, I know, if only we can have kids, everything will be so good. 
now you got four or five sinners under the same roof. And then you go, oh, when the kids grow up, then it'll be so good. So now I'm back down to two sinners, but I'm still working. And then you go, oh, if I can only retire, everything will be so good. And then after you're tired, you go, oh, if I could only be young again, everything would be so good. (laughs) Y'all, that's us. Amen? And we have trials in every stage of life. But God's near us, helping us through the trials. Because once we get through a trial, it's just a matter of time before there's another one. So we live with him next to us, not looking for those mountaintops. Okay, verse 19. Notice how it starts off. I've been so hurt. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. God says your life is not going to be this smooth road without bumps. He says you will have them. But the Lord delivereth him out of all of them, of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. You know, there's that breaking point where he doesn't let you go too far. He didn't say no bruises. He didn't say no pulled hamstrings. But he said no broken bones. He will not let you go so far. Because sometimes it's good to have sore muscles. Sometimes it's good. My grandson walked in, and he had a bruise and a cut on his eye. What happened to you? His sister said, he did a cartwheel on the stairs. I said, well, I hope he learned not to do that again. He didn't break any bones. He kept him in his protective care. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. So not a, he'll, he'll, he'll let you suffer a little bit. But you know what? Your enemies will suffer more. That's what the promise is. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. He will be nigh unto you. And I hope that's good enough for y'all. And that's what David prayed. So, if you read this, and you've listened to this message, and you said, where do I start? You know what my answer is? Brag on God for 60 seconds. And then start waking, making your way through this and see if we can start doing some of these things. And I guarantee you the quality of your life will go up in terms of a spiritual way. Will you be happy? Sometimes. Not always. But there's a joy that you'll have, that deeper appreciation. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.